everyone, and welcome to Minute 17 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we take a wild trip through the 1987 John Hughes comedy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Alan Sanders of The Wilder Ride. Hey. Welcome back. Hey, man. Thank hey. you. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate hey. it. I, I missed you since yesterday. <laughs> well, you know, it'd been a lot easier if we could just get in a hotel room together. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Look, all we need is a couple of pillows. <laughs> I don't know what our wives would think of that. How's that? <laughs> yeah, that could be an issue. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of an issue. So, episode 17 begins with the taxi pulling up to the uh, Braidwood Inn and ends with Gus placing the card in the machine. So, as we were discussing yesterday, Dell and Neil took a very long trip, not as long as in the script, but a very long trip from the airport in, from, I think it was called, well, actually used to be called the Dwight D. Eisenhower, or now it's called the Dwight D. Eisenhower Airport. I think it was called the Mid, the, the, oh, I can't remember what the name of the, the airport was. I have to go back, look at my notes from last week, but basically from the airport in Wichita to the Braidwood Inn. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the Doobie's tra- taxiola pulls up in front of in front of the the motel, and then we get to see that he's got some uh, hydraulics. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that lowers the car it. down. Yes. Now, do you do you I know mean... why people put hydraulics on on a on a car? Would you do you know why? Well, besides, the, like I said, that same kind of culture, especially uh, thinking of the L.A. culture and thinking, you know, again, I mentioned yesterday how it reminded me of like a Cheech and Chong kind of a stoner mobile anyway. But just the for being, you know, to show that you just to be showing off. I, I don't know why else you would do it. Right. I mean, basically what I what I found out, I, I did a, a short little research project on this. So basically it's for cars that are low riders. And that you want them to be up a little bit higher so that it's not scraping along the the ground if you have too much weight inside the car and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it can actually help make the car uh, jump in some way. There have been cases of cars that have hydraulics in them that are able to jump up six feet in the air. I have absolutely no idea how that works. I was just amazed to hear that. I've seen seen the... Folks like in Atlanta, and then you see them in car shows where they're popping their front hydraulics and bouncing the top. But I've never seen where the whole car gets off the ground. But I have seen where it's jacking the front end off the ground a good four or five feet, just bouncing the front end. Right. Maybe that's what they're referring to when with what I wrote. And now it, it was it was a technology that was originally used for aircraft, and people decided to put it into a car. And the biggest problem with it is is that it uses up a lot of battery power in the car and there are a lot of cars that have hydraulics that need an additional battery in order for it to actually work oh yeah you know back in my day when uh, car stereos were a rising thing and now you know car makers make so many deals with some you know bose systems and pioneer systems but you know the aftermarket systems a lot of times if you were running enough amplifiers to get the true wattage you'd have to run a second or third battery just to have enough wattage coming off those batteries to fuel your amplifiers. 
Right. And since this guy had a bunch of amps in the back of his car, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. We don't see it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he wouldn't have needed a second or third battery. Right. That's definitely very possible. So the, the, the car like bounces along a little bit when it gets, and also he stops very short. When, if, if you, if you look at when he's stopping in front of the, this, this motel, he stops really, really short and the, the car like jerks back and forth for a second. And then we see Neil get out of the taxi. And because now he's very low down, the, you know, the, because the hydraulics have gone down, he has a lot of trouble getting out of this taxi. Mm-hmm. And he's like, has to lift himself up. And it looks very, very uncomfortable. Once again, Neil, Neil constantly throughout this entire movie, based on from what we've seen already and from what we're going to continue to see, constantly is put in situations which he looks just very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, there's, I don't know if there's ever a moment. It starts off at the very beginning sitting in that boardroom. He's uncomfortable. So yeah. No, there he's uncomfortable because he wants to catch a plane. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But what I'm saying as far as character, he's never in a place where he's happy. Yeah. <laughs> it just gets worse. <laughs> exactly. Now let me ask you this. I don't know what this is. When you talk about him getting out of the car, on the roof behind the yellow taxi light. <laughs> that you know, I was going to bring that up. Is that a speaker or is it a what is that i don't know i thought it was like a bullhorn <laughs> maybe it's for doobie to tell people to get out of the way <laughs> <laughs> a little siren um is it air horn i mean what i honestly have no idea what that is maybe it's to I blast his music incredible. maybe he wants to blast maybe his music outside hear it outside the vehicle yeah no i was i was wondering the same thing so uh, it's got to be an air horn. It's got to be some kind of a, you know, da, 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 da. but instead of mounting it in the hood, he put it on the roof. <laughs> it's very, very possible. <laughs> Absolutely no clue. <laughs> so Dell gets out of the car from the other side and we, we don't really see him, but we hear him say to, he says, take care of the luggage. Will you Doobie? And Doobie goes, okay, Dell, which it's not that much, but what it tells us is that they know each other just by the mm-hmm. way that the response is. You know, by by Doobie responding, okay, Dell, and for for Dell already calling him Doobie, it it sounds as if these are people who who know each other from the past. This isn't this isn't right. the first time that they've come across one another. It also shows once again, Dell is used to having people either do things for him or pay for him or run interference for him. It's like he's always got a favor or he's always got somebody doing something for him, even though he makes it seem as if. It's like a one-time thing. Right, oh, you're right. Or or that, hey, let me out of the generosity of my heart. I'm going to offer you this as long as you pay. Right. You can come along with me. Just pay the bill. You exactly. can come along with me if you want to sit there. You know, it's – and I don't know that he's doing it out of maliciousness. I don't want anybody to under, to think I'm saying it. I just think his character is funny. He, I think he thinks he's always trying to be kind and and magnanimous, but at the same time, he's always got – there's always a catch. There's always something where you're like – Come on, man. Right. But one of the things that he says later on in the movie is that, that he wants the other person to feel comfortable and that he doesn't want the other person to feel as if they're being taken advantage of. Which, again, when, right. when we get there, we'll discuss that more in depth. But I'm not really sure about that. <laughs> I think he's <laughs> right. He's he's just he's he's in some ways a freeloader. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe and maybe that's that salesman attitude that sort of comes through where he I'm wondering if that's what, you know, a John Candy ism because he does that in several roles that where he plays sort of that. I'm going to be this bumbling sort of like, oh, shucks, kind of 
And yet he's the salesperson who's probably used to closing sales. So he's kind of always gets his way, but he's it's kind of like a version of Columbo. You, know, you act like the bumbling detective and you put all the bad guys, they don't realize what you're doing. And in the meantime, here he is getting you to sign the dotted line on a deal, you know? So I just wonder if that's kind of like his version of that, the salesman mentality. I act like I'm just like a, oh, shucks, I'm not here to take anything from you. I just, I want to sell you these rings. Can you just sign right here? And, you know, it feels like that's his kind of character. Yeah, no question about that. Completely. And then, then we get a shot of the entrance of, the, first of all, we, we get to see the way Neil looks at the motel itself. He's he's like, okay, we're, we're in a dump. <laughs> this is not what I had expected. <laughs> I don't know what he really would have expected. With just a look and then his head turns kind of like sideways in judgment. He doesn't yeah. have to say anything. You're just like, you realize he's just like, oh dear lord, what is this dive? <laughs> right, and then we we get to see this this couple that are that are going into the to the motel, and they're 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 arguing a little bit. I think uh, like he tries grabbing her bag or something like that to help her, and then she she pushes him out of the way. But I I think that the point of showing us that is to make it seem to to let us know what type of hotel this is. This is a seedy like, motel. <laughs> You know, this is one of those motels which people are going to be renting rooms by the hour or wherever. That, that's the way it seems. Yes, yes. Now, ironically, the 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 real motel that this that they used to film this, which I believe is called the Sunrise Motel, and it's right outside. It's like forty miles from Chicago or something like that. It was recently in the news because it was a place where there was a lot of prostitution going on and stuff like that. So there, there were a lot of, <laughs> a lot of problems with that. So you, even 35 years after they filmed it, you know, there isn't much of a difference. I guess they're being consistent. That's right. <laughs> Completely. At this point, Dell then turns to Neil and says, stick with me. <laughs> and the two of them, they, they, they enter this motel. And I mean, you get to see some very interesting things inside of the the motel. So again, Dell is completely cheery the whole time. He knows that that he's you know he he knows he's got a room, so he's not I guess worried about it. And they they walk into the lobby, and you see all these different things around the lobby. You can see that there's a two plants. There's an ashtray. You have lots of brochures. There's a a booklet that says the Wichita. You know, I guess that's uh, scenic places that you can see in Wichita, perhaps. There's there's uh-huh. a hat rack which has like three hats on them. You have a bell on the counter, and then you also have a rack of brochures that all say on them "Zoo." So I I looked up what zoo is nearby, which it could be because I couldn't I couldn't read what zoo it was. And there's a Sedgwick County Zoo. So once again, a connection to the Great Escape, Sedgwick. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the sign that I think is uh, meant directly as a an homage to uh, to Dell? No bare feet in yes. lobby. <laughs> <laughs> Leave your shoes on. You're not in your room yet. That's right. So the the the, the Cedric County Zoo was founded in 1971. They have over 3,000 animals of 400 different species there. It is now considered the number one outdoor tourist attraction in all of Kansas. Okay. On the 6th of May, 2011, there was a kid who climbed over one of the fences into the leopard cage. 
and was actually attacked by the leopard. And then a bystander mm. jumped in to, to save him. He kicked the leopard in the head and was able to save this kid. And the kid ended wow. up with just lacerations and puncture wounds in his neck and head. So I guess the, the leopard went went for the jugular, <laughs> as they say. Which is what they yes. do. And what's interesting is, is that they didn't euthanize the animal because he didn't cause life-threatening damage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never understood, except I, okay. This is my this is my animal part of me that I love animals. I'm a, I'm an animal, I'm not a, an animal like a fanatic, but I am a you know I'm, I'm a big with our local humane society. Well, you guys have adopting like fifteen dogs, dogs or something like things. that, don't you? <laughs> I, I, we have five right now. Yes, we have five dogs. All right, that's close. Um, <laughs> I have never understood why when a human being who's supposed to know better invades the territory of an animal and the animal does what an animal does why would we hurt the animal you know i've never understood that except the the old saying that you're worried is once an animal tastes blood it may not be able to like it may it want it, it may crave it again uh, you know like the kill and you've got trainers and zoo people around them all the time you don't want to put them in harm's way. You don't want an animal that now feels like, oh, this is what I should be doing with my trainers and my zookeepers and my, you know, uh, the veterinarians that come to check on. Have you ever seen blackfish? But I've never. Have you have you seen blackfish? The nope. documentary about killer whales. And so that that no. talks all about that. It was it's an amazing documentary from I think it was 2013, all about. A, I'll check a killer, the, the killer whales and, and, you know, from SeaWorld and how many times they have attacked their trainers and things like that. Wow. Okay. I'll check it out. Cause I mean, I guess that's the only reason I would find that to be legitimate. I know that was a side discussion based on an actual event, but it, it, it never fails to astound me when somebody goes, well, we need to kill the animal. Why? The animal was doing what the animal does. Right. It's the human beings fault to be there. Correct. So, at this point, Neil walks into the lobby and takes off his hat. And once again, you see just pure disgust on his face. He's like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> and Dell, his ever cheery self, walks over to the counter, rings the bell. And again, I mean, when we were outside, we saw that there was snow on the ground. But Dell is carrying his jacket and hat. You know, he's, he, he didn't really need to put it on at any point. But Neil looks like he's all bundled up. So, yeah. yeah. So Dell bangs on the bell, and then we, we see someone pop up. <laughs> it's just funny the way he pops up. It's, it looks like from a comedy skit, you know, the way that someone just, you know, pops up in a window. So then we. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it took me forever to figure out where he was popping up from. Because, you know, in the background where I mentioned the sign, No Bear Feed in Lobby. There's an opening, but it looks like it's an opaque screen. The way it, the angle is when they're coming into the lobby, yeah. I thought it was sort of like a, a, a glass window that you'd have to slide open to see anybody. Right. But then when we go to the, the close-up of him popping up in the window, now we realize, oh, there's no opaque opening. It's the next room. But it doesn't look like that when we're in the lobby shot. It looks like there's something in the yeah, way. completely. So basically at this point – we, we have a, a character named Gus Mooney join us. Now, Gus is played by Charles Tyner, who was born in 1925 and passed away in 2017 at the age of 92. He had 55 TV credits, 
33 movie credits, including one of my favorite sports movies, The Longest Yard, with Burt Reynolds. Hmm. And he was also in Cool, cool Hand Luke. So and then there's a conversation between Dell and Gus. So the first thing Dell says is, even Gus. And Gus, when he pops up, goes, Dell Griffith, how the hell are you? So once again, everyone knows Dell. You know, he's he's the norm from Cheers of <laughs> yes. of John Hughes's uh, Wichita <laughs> or John Hughes's travel through uh, through all of these places. It's just unbelievable how so many people know him. And Dell's response is, "Well, I'm still a million bucks shy of being a millionaire." And the two of them start laughing. And he goes, "Gus, I want you to meet an old friend of mine. This is Neil Page, Neil Gus Mooney." And then Gus goes, glad to meet you, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) What I love about this is, once again, John Candy's character and the way John Candy's playing him, you get the sense that he's never met a stranger, that he makes such an impression. And and we have no idea if these guys are really longtime friends. They may have met once when he did sell them the the shower curtain rings. But in Dell's mind, we talked once. We're lifelong friends yeah. now. I mean, well, he, he I, thinks because then he introduces Neil. He that thinks way. the same thing of Neil exactly. So you know, and I don't know. Again, I'll have to figure this out as we go through. Because I mean, you only you only have me here for a few of these minutes versus the whole movie. But I'll be interested to see how much of that John Candy ish version of this character, because it's very similar to the character he plays in Home Alone when he's part of the the, the um, Polka, Polka Band, band yeah. trying. To, yeah. And it reminds me a little bit of, of Uncle Buck. Not quite as bad. Uncle Buck's a little bit better. But he's got that sort of mannerism where he's never met a stranger. And the minute he's met you, we're now lifelong yeah. friends. I, I, and think I must think that, that that's a great attitude for someone to have. You know, he's a very cheery, yeah. cheery person. I think if you're not Neil, you probably like Delve because of that. Right. But Neil's not the kind of guy who wants Adele in his life right now. He wants order. He wants answers. He wants to get home. He, he's not interested in story time and yucks. And he, he doesn't care about right, that. Right, because Dell's not in any rush. You know, we'll find out much later why he's in no real rush. But he's not. You know, he's taking his time wherever he goes. And, and he takes everything in stride, which is, which is great. Now, did you notice that there's like this little sign right outside this window where Gus is standing where it says, if you smoke in bed. If you smoke in bed. So I I, <laughs> yes. I spent. But I don't know what the fine I, print I, I don't either. I spent so much time trying to research, trying to find this sign on the internet, and I couldn't find it. I found a whole bunch of different things about it. smoking hmm. in bed. You need to make sure that, that, that you put your you put out your cigarette, you know, in an ashtray and you don't don't let it fall out when you're falling asleep and things like that. I have no idea what they really say here. So if anyone out there knows what this says, please let us know. <laughs> yeah, it's just you can read at the top lines, but it's so hard to see what it says underneath. Yeah, when 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 it, what's really frustrating when you do movies by minutes is that you can't zoom in. <laughs> <laughs> You're limited in how much you can zoom in. And there's also two two flags. So there's a US flag. And then there's another flag which I could not identify for the life of me. I did so much research trying to figure it out. I thought maybe it was a Kansas State flag or something like that, but the Kansas State flag doesn't have stars on the sides. So I yeah, it looks like it's a circle. It's a circular emblem in the middle where the stars go around yeah. the outside, almost like 
Paramount logo, <clears throat> the Paramount 50th anniversary it, logo. It is similar to that, but but the closest thing that I was able to find is that it looks like the the uh, National Air Guard flag, which I don't know, maybe Gus was in the, the National Air Guard. I don't know. <laughs> It I looks similar. It's not and not exactly the same thing. See, I assumed when they showed the close up that it would have been the state flag of Kansas. That's what I would have too. But if you look and if you look at the picture of what the state flag of Kansas looks like, it does not look like this. And it didn't in nineteen eighty seven. I was gonna say, did you look at the right year? Yes I did. Yes I did. So this got me thinking about all the different strange things about Kansas, about the different you know, like what what's the state song? Do you know what the state song of Kansas is? Uh no. Okay. In nineteen forty seven they chose Home on the Range really? to be the, the official – the deer and the antelope. There you go. So it's the unofficial anthem also of the entire Old West. It was written by a Dr. Brewster Hiley as a poem in 1871 or 72 or 73. No one's really sure exactly when he wrote it. And then Daniel E. Kelly added a melody to it uh, not long afterwards. And then someone by the name of David Guyam arranged it into sheet music a few years later and apparently there's a lot of plagiarism of this song over the years and there's so many different versions including the very famous version sung in 1933 by Bing Crosby which caused a lot of problems because at that point they actually had a lawsuit about plagiarism oh wow yeah. there are versions of the song by Frank Sinatra Gene Autry Boxcar Willie Burt Ives Pete Sager, Steve Lawrence, Tori Amos, Neil Young, Willie Nelson, and both Porky Pig and Bugs Bunny have some versions of <laughs> That's the one I know. I was going to say, I, I learned it from, from uh, cartoons. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is the Kansas State animal? Do you have any idea? No. Okay. The American buffalo. Okay. Uh, that would go along with the, the song. Yes. <laughs> and what is the Kansas State insect? Uh, we'll go with locust. No, honeybee. Honeybee. <laughs> honeybee. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Now, the the motto of Kansas is "Ad Astra per Dispera," which means "To the stars through difficulties." Yeah. Okay. All right. That, that's all I got about Kansas. There's there's there was so much more that I found on that website, but I decided you know there's there's a limit to how how deep I'm going to go here. <laughs> How deep? You know what? Um, as I as you were doing that, I was just looking up different flags, and I think you're right. I, I I don't know if it's the Air Guard. It may be closer to the flag of the United States Air Force at the time. Okay, could be, but it, I don't know. Does it the Air so, Force? Uh. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. It, it's definitely. Although the state flag is that same color blue and has a round emblem, no version of the Kansas state flag that I could find quickly while we were talking has stars around. That's it. correct. Only the air the Air Force. See, I, I, I do my do my research here. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I was just like, I was shocked because I just always assumed it's got to be the state flag. You know, why would you, why would it not? Exactly. I, I thought the exact same thing. It didn't make any sense of why it wasn't. But apparently it's not. By the way, I don't know why we're knocking, I don't know why we're knocking this hotel because when uh, uh, the proprietor comes out and you see the little boxes where they have all the hotel rooms where you can put the mail and get the keys. He's obviously won several awards. Yes, and <laughs> and the back you see in the back back of the room also, and they also say we do not accept personal checks. Yeah, but they they look like bowling <laughs> awards that he has there. Well, of course they are. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with the hotel. It's his own per 
And there's like a dead fish on on the top also. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that's one of those like Billy Bass singing fish. Yeah. <laughs> and it says checkout time twelve noon, no exceptions. I mean, it, it, typical things you find in some of these like out of the way, long, long lasting hotels. Yeah. Actually, you know what I was surprised of? Um, I kept thinking, and you know what? I'll save it for when we get to their room. I just assumed it was one of those hotels that was like a motel where all the rooms were accessible only from outside doors, not an interior door. So to me, I, that seems like a – I, I want to pay attention to the room when they go in because I would have thought that this was the one of those places where all the doors face out and you go into your room from – you know, there's no secure lobby or something. Right. Okay, we'll, we'll discuss that. I have I have stuff to talk about the motels also. <laughs> okay, good. So at this point, also once again, Neil is very uncomfortable during this whole conversation between Dell and Gus. And mm-hmm. at this point, Dell says to Gus, "Gus, I told my friend here you'd be able to fix him up, uh, fix him up with a room for the night." So then Gus says, "Well, do you have a major credit card?" So at this point, Neil pulls out. From his wallet, a Diners Club International card. Yeah, here's a card I haven't seen. Well, I can't tell you the last time I've seen one. They were really popular in the 80s and maybe even early 90s. The Diners Club card? Yes. I don't even know. If, I'm sure they're still around. but They are still around, yes. It's not a common card. Yes. So Diners Club International was founded in 1950. It originally was a cardboard card that they used. And there's a famous story called The First Supper, which basically the, the, the story is, is that the guy who ended up creating the idea of a diner's club basically was, was at a lunch and he didn't have he didn't have money on him. So he needed to find a way to be able to get some sort of credit. So he, apparently he sent his wife back home to get his wallet or whatever it was. And at that point, he decided that that he really needs to think of some idea that people can go into restaurants and be able to pay with credit as opposed to paying with cash. You don't have to always make sure that you have cash on them. So the, the, the idea of this, of diners club was it was a club of diners that would allow patrons to settle the bill at the end of each month through their credit account. So at the beginning, there were 127 restaurants that joined this, this club and there were 200 of the founders, friends, and acquaintances who began, began using the card. And each of them were, were charged a $5 a year fee in order to be able to do this. So apparently that, that helped them out a lot. <laughs> I'm curious. I've always thought about that. that when did you know, the credit cards really start to become more and more prolific? But, I mean, at some point, someone had to come up with the idea first, and it makes sense now why it's called the Diners yes, Club card. exactly. And in 1961, that was when they started using plastic as opposed to cardboard. Now we get a quick look at Neil's Diners Club International card. And we see that it was issued in March of 1987. And it's usually, based on the research that I did, it's usually, these cards were usually good for three years, but we can, in, in this, we'll be able to see it tomorrow. But today we can't see when the expiration date is. Because there's always a thumb over the expiration date. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't know if you're going to get into this, but for our young folks out there, this is what we used to call a credit card imprint machine. <laughs> Do you know what else it was called? No. It has two nicknames. It was known as the Zip Zap Machine or the Knuckle Buster. Never, 
knuckle buster i would get sort of like as anecdotally if you if you don't pay attention because you've got to line your little carbon slips there you got to put it down and you go, and it goes overneath and it, and it makes an imprint of the card through several carbon layers yes um but yeah so the reason um, never heard of it called the zip zap yeah. machine. well the reason that it was called the knuckle buster was because it was frequently skinned the knuckles and developed calluses on the hands of people that were using it repeatedly because mm-hmm. i guess they would my first retail job that's what we rang up credit cards with we had to put it in and and then that's when people started when i first was in um sales like a retail sales it was just where people were realizing hey i want to keep my carbons because we would just throw the carbons in the trash and thieves were figuring out i can get those yes. carbons out of the trash <laughs> of, the, of the business and go online and make a new card or use that number and so people were wanting you to uh, not only give them their receipt but then they'd want you to give them the carbon so they could throw them right. away. So so these these machines were used in the 60s and 70s and throughout the 80s and in the 80s and 90s it's they stopped using it or they started using it less because at this point they were able to get mm-hmm. the these what were known as payment terminals which they were people were able to use obviously nowadays you wouldn't see this at all because everything is done electronically but in the 90s, there were still a lot of places that didn't have network access that were using these knuckle busters instead of using electronic forms. And those were like places in taxis and planes and things like that where, you know, they didn't have any any connection to the to the, what we now know as the World Wide Web. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you that even as of as of back as far as as recent as 10 years ago, uh, because I do a lot of work with some nonprofits and we would do. Um, different uh, events that were in the middle of, let's say, uh, the country club on the golf course where people wanted to sign up for their golf team. And we didn't have Wi-Fi readers that you could just run through your cell phone. This was pre, just before smartphone. And we would have to make manual imprints of the cards so we could charge them all later when we would come back to the the the, the building where, uh, you know, the, the headquarters for, let's say, the United Way. So we were still having to do this as 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 recently as 10 years ago, simply because we didn't have Wi-Fi. And then with the advent of the smartphone in the last decade, and um, now you can ring things up right through your phone. We don't worry about that. But yeah, you're right. You would have to use these in really remote locations where you didn't have what we take so for granted today as cell service or Wi-Fi. No question about that. And that's pretty much how this this minute ends. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about this minute? That's it. You got okay. me yet. So got, we're all, we're the all The only done. difference in the script here is, is that Gus has a lot more lines. And some of them are pretty funny. I understand why they're taken out, but they're funny. At one point he says, I, when Dell asks him, how how's he doing? So Gus goes, well, I was doing pretty good there for a while. But Sunday I pissed my pants during 60 minutes. So I guess I got to go back in for more plumbing work. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> yeah. And then – Basically, that 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 that's pretty much the the main difference in the script for this minute because you know the script doesn't have that much happening in this minute. Just like we didn't have very much happening in this minute. It was more descriptive of everything around. Hey, you know what? We still managed to fill the minute. I think. Oh, of course, well. I'm, not, I'm not complaining. <laughs> not complaining at all. So every day we have this segment called Off the Beaten Track, where myself or my guest will tell a little adventure or misadventure or something that happened to either of us over the course of our lifetime. So Alan, you have another story you want to give us. Well, let me give you a recent one. And this one, I I don't know the purpose behind the way certain rules are with the airlines now, but my wife had made plane reservations to fly up to New York one way to uh, 
visit her dad and then she was going to drive down with him. And unfortunately, he just recently passed away. So we called the airline and we said, hey, Delta, I'm going to call him out. Delta, we're needing to change the name on the reservation because now my wife's going to drive up. I'm going to fly up that same day, taking the same seat paid for out of the same joint checking account with the same billing address. Oh, we can't do that. I mean, you can't do that. Well, no, we can't do that. We can't just change the name. You're going to have to refund the ticket and buy a new ticket. Well, can I buy the ticket at the price that this ticket came? Well, no, that was at the time you bought that ticket. I'm like, oh, so can I go ahead and get a credit? Well, we need the death certificate to give you credit. So I had to go and create a brand new reservation to go for the exact same day of the exact same flight to the exact same place because I had to change my name. Wow. <laughs> I'm telling you, the the bureaucracy. And then to find out I accidentally had a double bill for one of the tickets to get the refund now. And this is this is me venting. <laughs> I had a two hour and 15 minute on hold to get a live person. And when I got the live person and explained, which only took about five minutes, I explained what happened. You know, we have this double ticket. Should have only been billed once, not twice. No problem. We'll take care of it. I was on hold for 20 minutes. They came back and they go, we're, we're, we're just waiting to get this process. Thanks for your patience. 20 more minutes. Came back. 20. It took two hours and 20 minutes to finally get it resolved. So I spent almost five hours of a Saturday dealing with one ticketing wow. issue. So that's my... That's my fun and, and, and explains why I hate the airlines and would prefer to drive or even better, stay right at home. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. So, Alan, do you want to tell me about how they can get in touch with you? Sure. We do a podcast similar, uh, at least for the first two seasons of it. It was called It's called The Wilder Ride in, fam in, in favor of Gene Wilder. Uh, we Instead of doing a specific franchise, we wanted to do films by Gene Wilder. So we did... Young Frankenstein season one. We did Blazing Saddle season two. We were in the midst of doing uh, some other movie prep and things happened around the world. So we changed it to a talk show format and interviewed some really, really cool people along the way and had a lot of fun. So you can find us on just about every podcatcher out there. You can visit thewilderride.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Excellent. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher you might be using to listen to this show. And to find me, just do a search for Movie Rob Minute on Facebook, Twitter, or on our website, or you can send me an email at MovieRobMinute at MovieRob.net. So, Alan, you want to come back in tomorrow? Yeah, we got we got to get we got to check out the hotel room. I, I got to see their All dance. right, sounds like fun. All right, well, until tomorrow, you're fun. You're fun. <laughs>